Kobe Great episode 23 presented to you by Hardo Sports. He is back, folks. Not Mike Contento, your host of Go Be Great. But Aaron Judge signs at the Yankees. Nine years, $360 million. I'm fired up. We'll get into the other baseball offseason stories here from the winter meetings as I think over five players, uh, Judge, Verlander, DeGrom, Trey Turner, and Xander Bogarts, who have all signed within like, you know, the last two or three days. Um, I think it's over $1.2 billion of contracts. So a lot going on in baseball. There's also Carlos Correa still out there. So you have to figure another $300 million will be shelled out there. Um, so we'll talk about all of what's going on and a lot more about Judge uh, in the first part of this episode. Later on, we'll do NFL. Uh, it's going to be a lot of Jets. I apologize in advance, but that's the one game that I saw every snap of. Um, I was in Connecticut over the weekend, so I traveled during the Chiefs and Bengals game. Don't have much to say about it other than a great performance by Joe Burrow. Um, I will return the Hardo of the Week uh, segment from from What a Hardo because this week someone deserves it. Um, honestly, every week since the What a Hardo podcast has, I guess we'll say, walked off into the sunset, um, someone has deserved the Hardo of the Week every week, and I feel like it's a good tribute to my boys. Uh, and like I said, honestly, two people this week deserve it, but one will be mentioned in the MLB free agency. So the other will get the hard of the week. We'll do that at the end of the NFL segment. I'll do college football. Um, most of it will have to do with Deion Sanders, honestly, because I don't think any of you want to hear me pre preview, uh, you know, the college football playoff when it's four weeks away. I don't think that, you know, I'm going to do a different episode picking every bowl. Um, so I think it wouldn't be right to put it on the end of this one. Um, we'll do a little bit of Heisman because I think one person is the clear front runner. I think one person got snubbed from getting invited, and I think one person did not deserve to be invited. So we'll talk about those three guys. Um, and then we will finish up with the picks. The picks have been disastrous. Uh, there's no way about it. I'm honestly not sure what the picks went last week because I don't have my sheet from last week in front of me. Usually I look to see what has happened the previous week, this week, I did not. I know in college, I picked every uh, conference, you know, major conference championship game. So I could tell you that those records were probably like three and two because I had USC, they lost. I had uh, TCU, I believe they lost. I had. Georgia, they won and covered. I had Michigan, they won and covered. And I took the Tar Heels, and they lost. So two and three in college football. Like I said, NFL, honestly, can't can't tell you. 
And like I said, the record's so bad that I don't think it matters. Just fade whatever the hell I'm about to tell you at the end of this episode. And you should come out with more money than you started with on Sunday morning. So I think I have laid out what I'm going to talk about for the rest of the pod. And we will start with actually a two-sentence prepared statement on the NBA because the NBA is not going to get talked about again for a while, but I do have my thoughts. I think it's a three-team race in the East between Boston, Milwaukee, and Cleveland. I feel like Boston is the best team in the NBA. I feel like the other two are really good. The West is wide open because you have teams like Golden State in eighth, you have teams like the Lakers in 13th who started out 2-10 and 10, but are now 8-4 and four in their last 12. Um, and I want to say I'm going to take a victory lap on Anthony Davis being good again because I told you at the beginning of the season, if he stays in the paint, the Lakers could be good and he will be really good. And he stayed in the paint and is averaging 28 points and 13 rebounds this season. So um, there's my prepared statement on the NBA. It'll be MLB offseason. NFL, but mostly Jets, and college football, followed by the picks. Let's do it. So, wild weekend for MLB offseason signings. Uh, the ball kind of got kicked off with Jacob deGrom being announced to the Rangers. I think that was Friday evening. Yeah, at about 7 o'clock or so. Eastern time. So not one that I was expecting really. I, you know, I never thought about where Jacob deGrom would go if he didn't re-sign with the Mets. Um, I didn't see a scenario where he would leave, but like I said, I didn't really think about like, oh, well, if he does leave, where's he going to go? So um, seems like that deal kind of came down to the fact that deGrom wanted to be locked up for longer than two seasons because Steve Cohen offered DeGrom the same contract he offered Verlander and Justin uh, and Jacob DeGrom ended up on a longer deal for less AAV. So that just tells me that, you know, I, I think at the time, like Mets fans were pretty upset. Obviously, Justin Verlander will really help the fact of being, you know, you're not going to be upset for too much longer after that. But I think it's a good move for the Mets, like, to not sign back to Grom after, you know, he's barely pitched the last two seasons. Like, you know, I think he'll have that that upper tier stuff for the for the two years that, that Steve Cohen offered. But, you know, based on the way that the injuries have went for this guy. I think, I don't think giving money to, to the big pitchers is worth it in this day and age. And I, for some reason, it makes no sense to me. I think A-Rod was talking about it with Michael K on the radio this afternoon. I mean, what, what, what is going on with these pitcher contracts? Like Aaron judge damn near won the AL triple crown. he, broke the American League home runs record and he gets $40 million per year, obviously over a long, longer period of time. But 
I mean, Max Scherzer is getting $43 million a year. He pitches every five days. Same thing with Justin Verlander. Same thing with Jacob deGrom. I mean, Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole's making $36 million a year. I didn't look at the numbers, but something tells me that the amount of times he started the seventh inning this season would not exceed the amount of fingers you have on your two hands. So someone who plays in one-fifth of the games and then plays in two-thirds of that game gets 25% of your of your revenue. That makes no sense to me. Um, I don't know how it's gotten to be that way because if you also look at it, the teams that deploy these high pay, highly paid pitchers, which it's really just the Mets, the Yankees, and now the Rangers. Like the Yankees don't need to sign Garrett Cole for people to go to to go to the games. Like it's not like all right, we'll give these guys a lot of money because every time they pitch in our ballpark, we'll have a sellout. Like the Mets and the Yankees don't have to worry about that. The Yankees have the highest attendance in the league. I'm sure the Mets are up there in like the top five or six. Like the Rangers, yeah, I get it, but I I don't know how it's going to change. Um, it it just doesn't make any sense to me. But in terms of the Mets, like I said, I think if you were going to put up that type of money, Verlander's the better bet in terms of health right now. Uh, you know, coming off of a big World Series win for the Astros, I'm sure he would like to to try to win with his former teammate from Detroit, Max Scherzer. Um, and I'm, I hope it works out for DeGrom in, in Texas. Texas wasn't too great this season after signing Seager and Simeon um, because, you know, the rest of the team obviously not too great. But we'll see how they do. Um, so Mets fans were up and down on that Verlander. Well, not the, not the Verlander. The DeGrom going to Texas. I thought that it would be fine no matter what. Obviously, then you add Verlander, so now no one's complaining. Um, and we move on. Trey Turner goes to Philadelphia, 11 years, $300 million. Uh, Not a move that I saw coming. Um, another one that never really thought, like, what team is going to go after this guy. Um, but the Phillies were not one. You know, and and they have like they have a young team of players i think the kid bomb plays third i think Bryson Stott is a really good shortstop so we'll see where they want to put Trey maybe they'll play him in center field maybe they'll put him at second base i, I don't really know but overall one of the best pure hitters in the MLB um Good stolen base guy, good leadoff guy, uh, a former teammate of Bryce Harper in Washington. So that's a move that I really like for the Phillies. I think, you know, anytime that you make your team better, obviously you're going to be excited about it. But someone that's going to take care of their business off the field, um, 
and like I said, just a pure hitter. Like, I don't think there's going to be a year of that contract where you feel like, oh, this guy is just not a good hitter anymore. I think he'll be, you know, I think over the last few years, there's been a little bit of a pop, like, I don't want to say explosion for him, but, you know, maybe that wasn't expected. Obviously, at the end of the contract, is not going to be like that anymore, but um, we'll see. The Phillies coming off of a World Series loss, making a big addition, and another deal that you don't make if you're not looking to try to win in those first two, three, four years of the contract. So we'll see what the Phillies kind of look like from the rest of the roster's composition uh closer to opening day but i kind of like them as one of you know probably what the second best team in the nl besides the dodgers right now just based on the names they have the young guys that are coming up and looking like real pieces um the fact they went to the world series and like i i don't i can name the dodgers like they're a better team for sure. I just don't, maybe the Padres, given the fact they just signed Bogarts, but I don't think I would take any other NL team over the Phillies right now based on that move. So another guy who got 11-year deal and only $20 million less, Xander Bogarts. Now, this one to me doesn't make as much sense. I don't think giving Xander as close to a deal of as Trey Turner is justifiable in any way, shape, or form. Like that's not to say Xander at one point wasn't the best one of the best hitters in the league because I think he was. But there's been a clear uh defensive I don't want to say like lapse, but he just straight up has gotten worse at defense in the last few years. Um, so much to the point that my Red Sox insider, my brother, who's a big-time Red Sox fan, was saying if Xander Bogarts gets below $25 million and it's from the Red Sox, that's great. And if it's more than that, it's an absolutely disastrous contract. Um. And by the way, I don't think that he should be playing shortstop at all. His words, not mine. And he watched, you know, if there's 162 games, he watched every single one. So I will see. Like the Padres, it's now a crowded infield. You have you have Cronenworth at second. You have Hassan Kim at short. You have Machado at third. You have Tatis, who maybe you're playing in the outfield when he's back next year. Maybe you're playing him in the infield when he comes back next year. But that's a lot of guys for three spots. Because um, Hassan Kim had a good year this year. Like Bottom of the lineup, was turning it over, had a good playoff. I don't know how you look at that guy and tell him to go sit the bench after he played, you know, 150 games for you that uh, last season. 
and he was a great defender. Um, so I, I don't know what the Padres do. Maybe Xander Bogarts plays first. I don't envision a scenario where he's like, like you don't give that money to the guy for him to be a DH. So the Padres were in on Judge, which was surprising. And for them to just recklessly then, you know, go after like one of the next guys didn't make a lot of sense to me. It's another deal, though, that shows to the fans like we're trying to win and we're trying to win soon. I personally would have went with Carlos Correa over Xander Bogarts if that was the numbers that we were doing. Um, but Padres have shown that they will go after the best players. They will do it at any cost. Um, this one, to me, doesn't make as much sense as some of the other ones they've made the last few years. But, you know, it's going to be their problem, not mine, to figure out what to do with that infield. Like I said, I don't feel Hassan Kim has done anything to not be a starter in the majors next year. But they just signed a shortstop. They have a generational player coming back who plays shortstop. They already have a good second baseman, so moving him over to second does make sense. But then you take one of your best left hand you take your best left handed hitter out of the lineup. No, second best, excuse me. Juan Soto, obviously the right fielder of the Padres. Um to me it's a boneheaded move. Like I said. Carlos Correa, it makes sense because there's defense there. There is more of his prime ahead of him there. Um, I think Xander will hit well during that contract, no doubt. But for a guy who already was bad at shortstop, you either put him at second, you put him at first, and... We'll see. Maybe it means that there's a move coming here for either Tatis or for Cronenworth or for Kim. Definitely not for Machado, but um, yeah, not a move that I liked as much. Uh, Padres are still in a pretty good spot, though. And that would leave me with the biggest one of them all. Aaron Judge, nine years, $360 million, a Yankee. I love it. Um, $40 million per year, I know. It's a lot. But if you want to be mad about that, you should be mad at the whole season. Like, you should just go back to the beginning where we offered him a contract that was seven years for $213 million, so 146 or $47 million less over two years. It wasn't hard. It really wasn't hard. If you offered him at the time eight years, $280 million, not only would there be two years less off of the years that you're worried about, you know, ages 39 and 40, because then he would have been under contract last year. So one year shorter and one year earlier equals two years less. You would have saved yourself a whole lot of money. So if you want to be mad about the number, be mad at the fact that Brian Cashman sucks at his job, that he will get to do for another four years, 
by the way, as he is re-signed until the end of the 2026 season. Um, yeah, don't be mad at Aaron Judge. I think this guy has a chip on his shoulder right now because pretty much the whole story this offseason has been how is that contract, especially from the Yankee side of things, like from the Giants side of things, is I think it was a little different because they were just hopeful that he'd come. And when he does come, now we have to produce because we have to try to go win a championship because you don't get a player like that if you're not trying to win. But I think the story here was always, are we going to do enough to get him, A, and B, How's he going to look at the end of it? I think he heard it. I think I was watching MLB Network today, and they had CC Sabathia on. And MLB Network has done these clubhouse edition broadcasts where they kind of have CC and other former players sitting down watching the game, pretty similar to like a K-Rod cast or a Peyton and Eli cast for the NFL. And they were saying that Judge watches the those games, like that broadcast. And CC was saying, they were saying about the contract. I think this must have been in August or September. And CC was saying, maybe you should do four or five years and up the AAV to like close to 45 million if you're worried about those later years. And they said Aaron Judge texted CeCe during the broadcast and said, what, you don't think I can play till I'm 40? So clearly he has something to prove here, that his body's not going to break down. I think that's number one. I think he wants to prove to people he'll play right field for most of this contract. And I think most of all, obviously, he wants to produce near the level he produced this year and win a championship. It's simple as that, folks. So... Not only are you getting a guy who is one of the best in this game, if not the, you are getting a guy that wants to win and feels like he has more to prove. So I don't, and has been your face of the franchise already. So to me, it's a big win for the Yankees. Like I said, if you're sad about the, the money, A, you're counting someone's money. That's not yours and has a lot more of it where that came from. Um, and B, be mad at the guy who almost fucked this up because we'll get into the timeline of events, but boy, did it not look like it was going to happen. And then apparently it took a 23rd hour call from Hal Steinbrenner from somewhere in Italy to Aaron Judge earlier this morning to pull him in. Uh, so yeah, Brian Cashman, go sleep in a bag somewhere else because we don't want you, but you will be here. So whatever. Um, I think, like I said, this has been the, the talk, you know, for, for every day since the season ended. And honestly, it was the talk for, for a lot of the season during the season too. Um, about, is it going to be New York or is it going to be San Francisco? I, I'm in the small percentage of Yankees fans that for the most of it did not believe he was ever going there. Um, 
not because he wasn't considering it, but I just always felt like he's going to come back. Because uh, it seemed like that's what he wanted. There was a smaller, another small percentage of Yankees fans that I think kind of just accepted, like, all right, maybe he comes back, maybe he doesn't, not sure. And then I think there was a lot of people who thought he was gone um, and that were preparing for him to be gone. So the timeline of these events kind of starts two weeks ago because that was the day that Aaron Judge was quote unquote spotted with a very clear video of one person in a, in a hotel lobby in San Fran um, with the MLB network watermark like on the top of it like very obviously staged um, asking what he was doing in San Fran that was the first time that doubt crept into my mind because I Obviously, he said he was going to go through the process, but I was hoping that it would never involve like an actual meeting in person with the Giants. Obviously, that happened. Um, so that was the first time that doubt kind of started to creep in. Um, and then the Yankees announced or Jack Curry mentioned that they were at the eight-year, like 300 mark. Uh, I was nervous because I think the whole time, I've been thinking it's going to take 40 million plus for this guy. And obviously those, we were not at those numbers yet. Um, so the numbers came out nervous. The time article came out where he basically, I didn't really read it, but they're saying that there were some things in there about like how nice it'd be to go home and, how he felt a little bit disrespected that the numbers came out before the season started about the seven years, $213 million contract. Uh, so yeah, I think the vibes going into like Monday were not very good. Uh, and then Monday happened and he went to the game, the Monday night football game in Tampa with Nestor Cortez. And I was like, I just don't envision him because he's he's been saying since the end of the season that he wanted to sign early, specifically near the end of winter meetings, because then the team, whoever signed them, could go after the rest of the market and try to get the best players there for them to win the championship for not just the first year of the contract, but for years to come in the contract. So um, I just felt like once he was there with Nestor, it didn't feel like he was going to go anywhere. Like I was like, all right, nah, he's here. We're good. Um, but then Tuesday was a wild roller coaster. So Tuesday, I think the Giants, it comes out that they're at like 10 years, 400 mil. Obviously, we're at eight and 300 mil. Um so not feeling good. Obviously, like I said, there's all the other shit that happened before Monday Night Football. And then, uh, you know, it's normal afternoon. People are saying the judge talks are heating up. And I'm driving home from school. For whatever reason, I decided on my commute home, which is about one hour, that I was not going to listen to music, that I was going to tune in to see what they – we're saying about judge 
most of the time when I listen to sports radio on my way home, I flip between Michael K himself on ESPN radio and Carton and Roberts on the fan. Now Carton and Roberts go to break. So I flip all of a sudden I look down phone buzz for whatever reason. I have John Heyman of all freaking people as the only guy that I have push notifications for, for baseball reporting on my phone. Arson judge going to the giants. One minute later, Aaron judge going to the giants. Now, Michael K has read it and the way he read it, it was like he lost a family member. Like he felt the pain of every fan. Now, obviously, within five minutes, John Heyman has taken the tweet down and said, I'm sorry, I jumped the gun on Judge. But there were other San Francisco beat reporters saying, no, the deal is, is going to be finalized here in a few minutes. Um, and then didn't hear much like the rest of the night. All that it was was the Giants beat reporters were saying that. And then... The Yankees guys, which mostly comprises Michael Kay and Jack Curry, were saying, no, it's still wide open. Um, so kind of went into, so, you know, went to bed not really knowing what was going on and then wake up in the morning to nine years, 360. So basically what happened is Hal Steinbrenner called Judge said, what is it going to take for us to get it done right now? Judge said, I need the ninth year, and I need, you know, the same AAV that I'm getting from them. So that's all that it took. Um, and he's he's back. So it was a roller coaster of a, of a weekend for sure. Um, just super glad that he will be here. I, like I said, I, I only in the last week – had a little bit of doubt, but I felt like between Rizzo coming back, uh, the fact that he always made it seem like he wanted to stay here, I I always felt pretty good that he'd come back. Only like I said in the last week, was it was it up in the air? And honestly, for for the last forty eight before this morning, probably a little bit more towards the Giants side of things. John Heyman. You're a freaking hardo. You're not the hardo of the week because it's going to be someone else. But, I mean, I'm I'm in sports journalism school right now, obviously at Sacred Heart. And I had the pleasure of having Paul Pabst, uh, the producer for the Dan Patrick Show, as one of my professors. The number one thing that this man taught us the first day of the class, Sports Broadcasting 101 or whatever it's called, Triple check your source. Now, obviously, he didn't get told that based on like, you know, he didn't get told from a bad source that it was confirmed, done. So that makes me believe that maybe, and maybe I could be wrong, but that the Yankees needed to see Judge was gone, even if it was just for five minutes to be like, oh, shit, we can't let this happen. Now, like I said, maybe I'm wrong. I'm honestly probably wrong. But based on the way that the planted video went, like, uh, and the fact that it was, like, a troll arson judge, like, Aaron never really 
like auto correct like it's literally aa never auto corrects i don't know to me something was up with with that whole thing maybe i'm wrong um but if it was not a mis if it was just john Heyman malpractice like i said the number one thing that we have been taught in school is triple check your source and do not try to be first if you are not very, very sure. Obviously, John Heyman was very sure and he ended up being wrong and thank God because that five minutes felt like the longest five minutes and it could have been that I was in a little bit of traffic on uh, 287, but oh man, it was rough. It was rough. Um, but we'll see now, you know, kind of the way that things look the yankee roster is is set outside of one outfielder spot one infielder spot and one starter so you need a left fielder i think for the games that stan is unable to uh go out there and seemingly You know, Benintendi's still out there, so we'll see if they want to try to bring him back into the fold. I don't think they traded for him last year just for him to be a playoff push guy, but maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, infielder, it's an interesting spot because I think out of the kids, and by the kids I mean Oswaldo, Oswald, and Volpe, I think only Peraza starts the season on the major league roster. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe they don't even need an infielder because they're keeping labor. I don't think they are, but maybe they are. Um, and then you, you need a starter because Tyone went to the Cubs. Shout out J-Mo. 18-year, uh, 18-year, uh, four-year, 18 million per year deal. Pretty good. Gets to, you know, go out to Chicago, try to build something there. Um, wish him nothing but the best because for him to get to this point between the ankle stuff, the the testicular cancer stuff, um, a real a real journey and uh, for you know based on what everyone has said about this man, a great teammate, great guy. so wish him nothing but the best in Chicago. But that does open a spot on the Yankees rotation. So um, we'll see where it kind of goes from there. Like I've been saying about pretty much every one of these deals, you don't make these type of deals to put people in the seats. You don't put these type of deals out there to get to the playoffs. You make these type of deals to win championships, especially when you are wearing the pinstripes and the navy blue hat with the white interlocking NY. Uh, so we'll see. We'll, we'll cover the rest of MLB movement as it happens. Seemingly, you know, there's been years where everything happened in February. It seems like this is the year where everything happens before January 1st. So um, feels good to get back on, on a baseball segment because I feel like that's just what I know the best. Um, and once again, just super fired up that judge will be back. Uh, that five minutes where I really thought he was gone was, was rough. 
It's kind of just like looking off on the side of the road, being like, there's just no way this is going on right now. Um, and we'll move on. NFL football. Um, didn't see anything but the New York Jets game um, in the 1 o'clock slate Sunday. I did not watch Sunday night football between the Colts and the Cowboys. I didn't watch anything but the second quarter of Monday night football between the Bucks and the Saints. Um, and I missed the big game between the Bengals and the Chiefs traveling home from a weekend spent in Connecticut with my friends. So um, I don't have much to say in terms of the rest of the league, but I do have a lot to say about the Jets. And so if you do want to skip through about the Jets talk, I understand not everybody's a Jets fan, but um, obviously this week was a big week for the Jets heading out to Minnesota, play the Vikings, who are one of the best NFC teams. Um, Mike White made his second start of the season. And personally, I think he balled out. There's other people who think, you know, that he didn't. I don't know what game you watched. Um, Jets lose by five. Just an overall, like, it's a game that, makes me very happy to be a Jets fan going forward because there's been so many times where the Jets play that type of game where, like, you know that they should be competing and they just can't get back in the game. Like, they are just right there but can't do it. And that's not this team. This team is legit. I know the record's seven and five. I know Mike White is the backup or whatever, third string, because he did start as a third string quarterback this year. But I know Mike White is like the backup. But the rest of the team is so legit outside of the safeties. Like we've been putting different line groups out there every week. We just got George Fant, the right tackle back. He looked great. Dwayne Brown, the left tackle, was great. They gave up the least pressures of the season. So the pass rushers of the Vikings, Zadarius Smith and uh, Daniil Hunter. So that's really good. Nate Herbig has been a breakout player at right guard. He started the season as a backup. The center is McGovern. I thought he sucked, but he's been fine. Um, Left guard is Lakin Tomlinson. We signed him. He's been good in the run game. He's been all right in the pass game. But, like, we took two sacks. Or we got pressured twice in 44. No. We got sacked once and pressured twice in 62 dropbacks. That's absurd. It doesn't happen in the NFL. And I get that he's not the most mobile guy. But this guy is a good quarterback. Like, I'm telling you, he is a not a good quarterback. He might be a great quarterback. I didn't think that going into the bear start. I just thought he would be a lot better than what Zach Wilson had to offer because I had seen it before. Like Mike White has moved the ball well in every game he's played it. And actually I have numbers to back it up. Um, Mike White over his six career games, which this would include this week against the Vikings, 
has led 55 drives over those six games and has amassed 2,088 yards. That is 38 yards per drive. How good would that be in the league over an entire season? Obviously, some of this is last year. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs are number one with 48.8 yards per drive this season. Number two is Buffalo at 39. Number three would be Mike White and the Jets, 38 yards. That's how good he is. The numbers are there, folks. And if you don't like the numbers, go watch the tape. There are some throws in there that Zach Wilson doesn't even conceptualize as I can fit that in. In fact, there are throws in there that most of the quarterbacks in the league don't conceptualize as I can make that throw. Except for the ones that we are considering the best. So, from the Mike White standpoint, not only do I think he's earned the starting job for the remainder of the year, I think there's no reason to not bring this guy back on a multi-year deal at the end of the year because he's on a one-year, $2.5 million contract. Let's just say he balls out. They win one playoff game and they lose in the AFC second round, whatever it's called, divisional round. What's the loss behind getting him back on like two or three years, $6 million per year? There's nothing. It's literally like having a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal. You're not getting anything better than that. You're not getting anything better out of Zach Wilson. That's confirmed. He stinks. He's not good. You're not getting, like, all right, go ahead and say, let's get Jimmy G. Well, that's $21, $22 million. So, no, because Mike White played better than that. Geno Smith, that's probably $15 million a year. I'm all right, and Gino's been good. Then it's like, all right, Matt Stafford might retire at the end of the year from what I've heard, so that's not happening. Who else is left? Nothing to draft. We, we're not going to draft a quarterback this year because we're going to pick in the late or early 20s. So to me, I think Mike White has earned being the quarterback of this team, not just this season, but at least next season as well. And like I said, I don't think there's any loss behind bringing this guy back on like a $6 million per year deal, multiple seasons, and seeing what happens. Because based on this, like these two performances, he's been damn good. Um, you know, there were throws in this game. Like I'm watching a little bit of the the highlight tape that my boy Michael Nania put out on his Twitter account. Um, There's a couple throws in here, man, that like, it's not just not Zach Wilson making them. There's other guys in the league not making these throws. At the end of the half, he threw a 20-yard out to Garrett Wilson. It was like he got two steps on the line, like near the line, got hit by the receiver or by the DB and went out of bounds. Perfect throw. The one over the middle in the fourth quarter to Garrett Wilson when he broke the two tackles and almost went the distance was unbelievable. 
there's another out route in there to, to Corey Davis in the fourth quarter. Then you have the fourth down conversion in the fourth quarter. I couldn't even believe that he threw it. Absolute dime. Another out route that I see here to Garrett Wilson on the last drive of the game. So the reason we lost this game has absolutely nothing to do with Mike White. He balled out. Um, the reason we lost this game is two reasons. Number one, <laughs> the red zone play calling was dis- just disgusting. I mean, we called six or s- six screens and two drives on goal-to-go situations. We called a rocket screen, so that is once or two steps up by your wide receiver, running back towards the line of scrimmage and towards the quarterback, catching the ball, and you have like two to three offensive linemen from that side of the line flowing over and taking the corner, the safety, the linebacker on that side, and anyone who flows over. To throw a rocket screen on the goal line to the smallest receiver you have is not a smart move. The fact that he then caught it and turned around the other way just makes me think like he did not even practice that during the week, which is concerning. But if he did, then he just decided to do the one thing the coaches probably told him not to do, which was to turn to the outside because that caused a hold. And then we went backwards and we still screened it like three more times, just that drive alone. So that was shit. Uh, We had a Garrett Wilson fake pass attempt literally one quarter after they did it to us. That was dumb. Um, what else? And then Braxton Berrios dropped a touchdown on the second to, uh, to last drive of the game. That can't happen. Literally, the only play Mike White made that you can say, ah, he did not make the right play there was third down on the 19-yard line on the last drive of the game. Rolled out right. Elijah Moore was open. He missed the throw. That's the only play that he made that was bad. Um, so Mike White, starter, should start next year. Should be brought back on a small deal uh, because there's just not going to be a lot much better for the us in the next few years, and I think this team is legit. Um, Quinn Williams is a game-breaker on defense. Our cornerback room is easily the best in the in the NFL. Like I don't even think it's close because Sauce Gard Sauce Gardner is one of the best in the league. DJ Reed is up there as well, and Michael Carter the second doesn't get talked about enough, but I think he's having an unbelievable season. And you don't realize how big having like a slot corner is until you watch teams like the Rams play this year where if Jalen Ramsey gets put on the inside, he is a disastrous player. So to have three guys that can play like that, man coverage the whole way, lock your guy up, is a really big advantage. And when you have players like that, 
between your D-line being that good, your linebackers being that good between Mosley and Quan Alexander, and your corners being that good, you can win a Super Bowl. Now, I know it's crazy because the Jets, but, like, they are that good. I'm telling you they're that good. The one weakness of the team on defense, or really just anywhere, got exposed because I think Kirk Cousins played a really bad game. I think he was feeling pressure from the Jets all game. He threw at least two picks in this game that we just straight up did not catch. One of them was a 10-yard dig route that Jordan Whitehead, it went right through his hands. He just did not. Like he it literally went through his hands. Um, the other one was the deep drop back. Forget what receiver he threw it to, but it was an absolute duck. Should have been picked off somehow. Both of our safeties got caught looking like the wrong way. And as they were running back with the receiver, he cut underneath, made an easy catch, 40 yard gain, but should have been an easy interception. So I think the one. Uh, weakness, which is safety, which is LaMarcus Joyner and Jordan Whitehead has been exposed. Um, but it took one of the best teams in the NFL to expose it. And we still lost by five with the ball on the 19-yard line on the last play of the game. And the drive before it, we dropped the ball in the end zone. So to me... The season's not over. People are saying the season's over. I don't think so. People are saying that we're going to go like 0-4 or 1-5. Obviously, winning in the NFL is tough to do, and it's a week-by-week thing, and like you don't know who's going to come out for these teams and have a great game. But, I mean, we're fate, we're nine-and-a-half-point dogs in Buffalo this week. I think that's complete BS. Um, I think – we're going to compete with this team in Buffalo. I think we might win this game. I think we could legitimately win every game on the schedule left. Um, unfortunately, like I said, it's the NFL. We could lose every game that's left because you could lose a tough one to the Bills. You could then the next week play a very hot Lions team, and maybe they come in and beat you. The next week you play – Jacksonville on Thursday night, those games are always a wild card on Thursday night. You never know what's going to happen. Then you go to Seattle. It's just not an easy trip, especially on at week 17. And last but not least, you have Miami. We played them the first time with a third-string quarterback, and they are a very good team. So who knows? I personally think we squeak into this playoff and we're the team that no one wants to see because of that defense and because of the fact that I think Mike White is making legit throws in this league right now, and people did not expect that. Um, Garrett Wilson is a dog. He should have ended with 200 yards. He ended with like 162. Unbelievable player. Can't wait to watch this kid's career develop. Um one last point, I guess, is Zonovan Knight, man. I think he's second in the league, I read, since he started two weeks ago in broken tackles. Number one is Josh Jacobs, who I don't have to look at the numbers to tell you he's been the number one running back in the league this year. Um, So that's very exciting because now we have a very deep running back room um, and probably, you know, 
you'd have to think Michael Carter and Ty Johnson will be people. And honestly, maybe they'll come after Knight too. I know that they're not going to let, let go of Brees Hall, but they, you know, people will be looking for these running backs. And he has been a very integral part of these last two games. And I think of the rest of the year, he's going to be really good. So, um, like I said, overall, this game, a lot of good, except for some some second quarter, like it just seemed like our defense was a little out of sorts and bad play calling on the goal line. Um, I'm excited to see where where we go from here the last five weeks. You know, they've been saying, Zach Wilson's intention is still to get him back on the field. They obviously are going to say that. They're not going to say, we're not going to start Zach Wilson the rest of the year. What do you think is going to be talked about the rest of the day, the rest of the week, even the rest of the season about the Jets? Not about how good Quinn Williams is, not about how good Garrett Wilson is, not about the emergence of Zonovan Knight, not about Mike White, not about Sauce or Michael Carter the second or freaking DJ Reed. They're going to be talking about Zach Wilson every day and he's not even going to be playing. So obviously they're going to say our intention is to bring him back. The other reason that you say that is because he's listening to the damn press conferences too. Like what if he hears, yeah, I'm not going, uh, I'm not, he's not playing the rest of the year. Like at that point, Zach Wilson is either going to not show up and then you have to trade him which maybe they want to trade him, but having to trade him and wanting to trade him is a little bit different. And instead, you tell him, like, you still have a chance to earn your opportunity to get back on the field, then it keeps him hungry. I have no problem with them saying that. So um, a tough loss because I feel like we had every opportunity to, to beat this team and just couldn't get it done. Um, but excited because, I, you know, I think we took it up a notch with this this quarterback change, and uh, I think I think we can make some noise still here in this season uh, without him. So I've got maybe one or two more Mike White stats, just because I want to get them all off before we stop talking about it, um, and then. I'll move on to the rest of the NFL things and numbers. Uh, I'll read this stat. We had 28 three and outs in seven games with Wilson. That is four per game. We have had two total with my uh, with Mike White. Both of them were in the Bears game, and I think both of them were in the second quarter. So. Uh, that's one I think is very important. And I think I said about the sack rate, he took one sack in 57 attempts. And that is a 2.7 sack rate in his career, which is the lowest qualified of any QB. That includes Tom Brady, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes. Um, 
So he's good, man. I think it's as simple as that. I think, like I said, whichever team is hosting the New York Jets in these playoffs, if they're able to make it, does not want to see this team. Like, they don't, they just don't. They just simply do not. I mean, the way that this is looking right now, it's number one, Bills, number two, Chiefs, number three, Ravens. That's funny. Number four, Titans. And then five, six, and seven are Bengals, Dolphins, Jets. Uh, I just feel like the teams that are are that are away in these games have real chances to beat the teams that will host those games. Uh, the Ravens don't look good, and Lamar is hurt. The Titans have not beaten a team that is over five hundred this season. Um, despite the good defense and, you know, the quarterback that won't make mistakes and a great running back, like I've been saying for the last two seasons, but simply this year, they have not beaten a team over 500. So, uh, have to figure if the Bengals go to Tennessee, that'll be a, a Bengals victory. So I think the AFC is wide open. I've been saying the NFC is more of like a two, three team race and probably just got subtracted by one with the Jimmy G injury. Um, and I just don't think there's a reason to to sit here and think the season's over at this point um, because we lost to the Vikings by five points. Uh, it's a great team. Like I said, we were there. Our quarterback played great. We have a young special team on offense we have a young special team on defense and we can really make some noise i feel like the rest of the season so giants tied with the commanders sorry folks didn't see it um i think the story with the giants has been the same all season i think the only thing that has changed is the workload has kind of gotten to saquon and i'm not trying to say that saquon is not good because i think he is very good I just think coming off of an injury, like there's no real surprise that he came out and looked fantastic. Obviously, he was rehabbing all season, all off season to be ready. Of course, he was going to look good. But I think the more of the question was always going to be how he fared the rest of the season, like how, you know, how he progressed. And the Giants are one of the teams in the NFL that don't really have like, what the Jets just have, per se. Or even a team like the Vikings, who have a legit option as their number two, even if he gets, you know, a lot less carries. At least it's a chance for the number one to get off the field, to not carry the ball, at, like, so much. I just think the, the workload has slowed down Saquon a little bit. Um, and then it's understandable. Like, he, I think they said today, and he's on pace to smash the numbers of, you know, the most carries he got, which I believe was his rookie year. So um, I think the story has been the same. They've been the worst team in terms of talent in almost every game they've played. Their coach is great. Their execution is great. Their defense is playing a lot better than they are. And the one thing that has changed is Saquon has lost a little bit of speed because 
he has gotten a lot of workload this you know at this point in the season so a tie is not what you want i think just it's like a weird like well we didn't lose but we didn't win either so like oh I don't, it's a weird environment after the game it's like we don't celebrate obviously but shouldn't feel as bad as if you lost um i think like if the giants you know i i was just reading the way things looked on the afc side for the jets the nfc it's in the first round vikings versus seahawks 2-7 niners giants 3-6 and we'll get into the niners in a second and then buccaneers cowboys so um Listen, the Giants can still – it's not over. It looks not great. I think everybody can kind of see that. You know, you guys watch the games. Obviously, I did not this week. But, you know, the Vikings have played a one-score game with every team. The Niners lost their quarterback. The Cowboys are chokers. The Buccaneers aren't that great. And the Seahawks, we'll see. And then you have the Eagles. So they can make a run in this NFC playoffs. Like I said, they've been doing the same thing every week. They've been executing perfectly. They've been finding themselves in games in the fourth quarter. There's no reason to believe that won't continue. They just need either a playmaker on the outside to step up and be the guy. Or they need to give the ball to Matt Breed a little bit more because Saquon has simply lost a little bit of steam. So. Um, they play the Eagles at home this week. It'll be a good test to see really where they stack up in these NFC playoffs if if they can make some real noise. And we will uh move on to the Niners. So the Niners lose Jimmy G to a, I believe, broken foot. Um, tough loss, man, because. Now they have to rock with Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy was the Iowa State quarterback for the last couple of seasons, and uh, he was the last pick of this year's draft. So, you know, it's not like a situation where, you know, you have, let's just say, like a Joe Flacco coming in where there's a lot of reps or even, you know, a Nick Foles or or a, a backup in this league that has been around for a bit. Like, this is a kid. That is a rookie who is the last pick of the draft and now is getting thrown into, you know, a situation where outside of his position, they are built to win this season and you got to go out there and execute. So I think if any coach is equipped to have this kid like in winnable situations, it's probably Kyle Shanahan with that being said when Jimmy G hasn't been the starter the quarterback I mean the San Francisco 49ers are like 9 and 28 so he hasn't had much success without Jimmy G so far in his coaching career Um, but this team is a little bit different than the teams that the Niners had when Jimmy G got hurt the first time so um you're gonna you're gonna rely heavily on the run. You're gonna hope that teams buy up 
you know, and go up a little bit more with the run, and that opens some play action passing. They're going to hope that he can hit quick passes, which I'm sure he'll be fine in that regard. Um, don't remember much about it. Like, I can't really see an Iowa State game from last year, like, in my head. So can't comment on the arm strength. But, you know, pretty much the story here has been, like, oh, the season's over for the Niners. I don't think the season's over for the Niners just because, like I said, I don't feel that the Vikings or the Eagles are super dominant teams. Um, and I feel like the Niners defense could really keep them in, in games down the stretch here. It's going to depend on just how much of the playbook Brock Purdy can execute and how ready he is for the NFL. Um, I won't sit here and say that their chances are exactly the same to win the Super Bowl as they were with Jimmy G. That's just wrong. But to say that it's over, I think is a little bit of a overreaction. So, um, don't think I have any other NFL points. Oh, the Hardo of the week, my Hardo of the week. Welcome back, Hardo of the week. It's been a long time since we have brought out this segment. Um, I think it's the first time I've brought this segment out on Go Be Great. Obviously, it was the last segment of every What a Hardo episode um, where each of us would choose our Hardo of the week, what they did to, deser- to deserve their title, um, and some, some, you know, some words for them to maybe figure out how to not be a hardo so my hardo is safety justin reed of the of the kansas city chiefs uh they interviewed kansas city you know they obviously interviewed the players on thursday before every game um this thursday before the game with cincinnati they asked him what he would have done differently against cincinnati if he if he was with the Chiefs this year, because this player signed from I believe the Texans to the Chiefs in the offseason. And he basically said, It's gonna come down to us tackling and not letting them go, you know, buck wild on like slants and stuff, which is understandable. Jamar Chase has home run hit hitting ability. So does Tyler Boyd. Um And then, obviously, as a safety, most of the time your assignment is the tight end. So he was saying, well, they got that guy, Higby, and he meant to say Hayden Hurst. Um, But somehow the reporters were like, oh, T. Higgins? And he was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to lock him down. So he says, I'm going to lock down T. Higgins, even though he's not guarding T. Higgins at all during this game. He's actually guarding Aiden Hurst. And I will tell you that the number one time that you don't give a team bulletin board material is the Thursday before the game. And the number two time you don't give them bulletin board material is the day after you lost to them. So number one, he says, I'm going to lock down T Higgins, even though he's not guarding him, he's guarding Hayden Hurst. Number two, if you're worried about Hayden Hurst in the offense of the Bengals, when they have Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, uh, when he's healthy, Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and 
you know, now Samaja Pirine is looking like he can fill the, the role of Joe Mixon. If you're worried about freaking Hayden Hurst, and I really like Hayden Hurst, if you're worried about Hayden Hurst, you have a problem, dude. Like, you're going to not be good in this football game. And then to go after the game and tweet, quote, unpopular opinion, we lost, but I was still right. You weren't right. Joe Burrow went 25 of 31 for 285 yards, two touchdowns. He got sacked once. He didn't throw a pick, and they won the game. Who cares? If I'm in that locker room, I'm looking at that guy like, yo, you're a freaking clown, bro. Get off Twitter. It's Monday. You tweeted this tweet, unpopular opinion, at 8.58 on Tuesday morning. You know what NFL players are doing at 8.58 in the morning on Tuesday? They're in the facility, working out, getting treatment, being in a practice meeting, whatever it is. I know that they're not practicing at 9 a.m., but anything else is on the table. Like, they're in the building. So people saw this tweet as it went out. I'm not saying that it just doesn't bode well for the Chiefs going forward, but, I mean, I I wouldn't want to be this guy's teammate right now. I'm not going to lie to you. Because there's just no reason to take a victory lap after you've lost. Like, first of all, the guy that you said was going to get locked up had three catches. So, and on, on five targets. So, you didn't really lock him up. Like I said, you lost the game. And you didn't even get the name right of who you were guarding. Like, and Ah, it just doesn't make much sense to me. So, Justin Reed, you're my heart of the week. Welcome back to the segment. Um, we'll see if we keep it going for next week. Uh, but certainly it was an interesting one for me to see that. So, college football. College football was a wild ride this, this weekend. Um, you had Friday night, USC and Utah. I believe USC took a lead into the half with Utah. Um, but then Caleb Williams got hurt and just they couldn't really come back from that. Uh, he is probably the Heisman, and I'll get into that a little bit more, but yeah, they had a 17-3 lead with you know for most of the second quarter, but they gave up two touchdowns in the last 4 minutes to Utah. Um and then they kind of just got blown out from there. Like I said, Caleb Williams seemingly tore his hamstring or something like that, but um so they lost Friday night. TCU lost in overtime to Kansas State. On Tuesday, I mean, on Saturday afternoon. And I know that in the pod, I said that Adrian Martinez would start. It actually ended up being Will Howard, and he played really well. And I also know that earlier in this pod, I said I was two and three, but I actually think I went three and two because I had Kansas State, but I did not have the quarterback who actually started. I told you guys. Uh, Adrian would start. It was not Adrian, so I apologize there. But um, college football playoff got it right, I feel like, because 
USC with two losses and no championship to show for it. Did not deserve to be in. Um, and I, I think that TCU had done enough up to that point that they didn't have to win that game. And they still played a very close game at that. So uh felt like they still deserve to be in. And I'm glad that they got to be in as number three and play Michigan rather than Georgia. Um, in terms of Alabama, Alabama had two losses and they did not make the SEC championship because of that. And I think if they lost one less game during the regular season, they would have been in the SEC championship. Obviously, then you kind of have a chance to like control your destiny from there. But um, I feel like they got it right. You bump up Ohio State to four. Um, and now we have our final four, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and TCU. Um, I believe that TCU is the 14th different school to participate in the college football playoff. This will be the sixth team that has only appeared one time so far um, because it would have been seven, but Michigan made their second in a row this year. So Washington made it once. Oregon made it once. Um, Florida State made it once. Oregon and Florida State was the same year. Cincinnati made it once. That was last year with Sauce. Michigan State made it once, and now TCU is making their first appearance. Um, based on those numbers, only one of those teams has won. And it was Oregon against Florida State in the first year of it. So most of the time when it's your first appearance, it doesn't go well. Um, because I also think in those games, like, I know for a fact that out of the – there's been seven years of the playoff, which means there has been 21 playoff games. And I think the average margin of defeat in those games is 19 points. Um, and so out of those teams that I've mentioned that have only appeared once, Oregon beat Florida State by 38. Washington lost to Alabama by like 17 from what I remember. Cincinnati, what was that game, like 24-7 last year. Uh, Michigan State got blown out. So it doesn't really fare well for TCU, but they have a month to prepare for Michigan. Um, Michigan might be without Blake Corum. Not sure if this surgery that is going to happen will have him ready to go before the playoff or before the national championship or not at all. So, um in terms of the other bowls, we'll do the other bowls uh, on a separate pod. Um, committee got it right. The committee will no longer be a committee starting in 2024, or maybe it still will be, but it will be 12 teams in 2024 because the Rose Bowl, there was something with their contract that basically made it like they had to be, it had to be 12, otherwise, or they, I, something. They had a, some sort of contract that said they would host the college football playoff 
two out of every three seasons. And because of that deal, they had to make it 12 teams. I don't know if that's exactly right, but I, you know, based on the numbers I just told you with a lot of blowouts so far in the college football playoff, I really don't know if the 12 teams will help or hurt. Um, cause it sounds like it'll be four teams will get the buy and then, you know, five will play 12 at the five home, six versus 11, seven versus 10, eight versus nine. Um, and then, you know, the quarterfinals and on will be bowl games. I feel like the one way it will help is it'll make college football like a little bit more relevant in December because kind of the way that this happens is like college football was relevant last weekend and now Saturday, you know, Army Navy will play. That'll be pretty cool. The next Saturday after that is December 17th and you know the next two Saturdays, the 17th and the 24th, like the 17th there's a lot of bowl games on, but I can tell you no one will be paying attention. The 24th, same thing, and I know it's Christmas Eve, but like I think that, that those two open weeks that these games will fall into, it'll be pretty perfect to keep college football relevant the whole season instead of like the weird month off. Um, we'll see if the games are good, like, you know, this year, just for example, I don't know. I think USC ended five, and the twelfth team is. Uh, I want to say. They drop Utah there. I don't know, but I feel like some of the matchups this year would be all right. Um, I think with the portal, like you're not gonna see these teams that are so dominant like we saw you know in the last few years like i mean if you look at the 2017 2018 alabama crimson tide i mean just on offense they had three nfl quarterbacks jalen hurts Tua, and mac jones was on the bench they had devonta smith henry ruggs uh jerry judy they had Irv Smith Jr. on the Vikings. So that doesn't even add in on the offensive line talent. And then you do defense, and they had a bunch of studs there too. So, like, I just don't think we're going to see those types of teams anymore. And because we won't see teams like that anymore, maybe we won't, we won't see, you know, oh, we can basically guess who's going to be in the top four every year and we can basically guess who's going to be the champion because it'll always be, you know, Georgia, Bama, or Clemson, or whatever. Um, I think there could be – I think it'll be good overall. I think it will be good. I think, like I said, not as many dominant teams anymore, and you'll kind of see that take place over the next few years. Um, and – it's good. Now, there's one thing that is bad about college football, and it'll kind of be talked about when I talk about Dion going to Colorado, but that's the transfer portal. Like, it is bad, guys. It's not, it's good because the players have the chance to leave without penalty if they need to, but 
a lot of these teen or a lot of these kids they just straight up don't need to leave where they are like i i kind of saw a clip before i was getting ready to load up this pod uh from tom izzo talking about how there's total free agency in college sports because like he's you know it's not like the nba or the nfl where you have to sign a contract and everybody signs a different length contract and when you want to leave at the end you can everybody's on a one-year contract at this point in college sports let's just say you're the second string oregon quarterback right now Do you want to stay and fight and get your spot? Or do you want to leave to somewhere where you think you'll be handed the job? Like, it's just not good for the sole fact that there's no penalty, that kids are not going through the process. And, like, like I was just talking about, the 2017-2018 Alabama team, of course those guys could have been playing at basically any other school. They all went to the NFL. But they all got a lot better by staying there, by going through Nick Saban's process, by being around each other. Because iron always sharpens iron. So um, it's not a good situation because, like I said, for the people that you need it, like you know, your coach gets fired or – you don't have a good experience with your coaches or the players or whatever it is, then, yeah, it's good for that. But to just be like, yeah, I'm going to play here this year. Now I'm going to jump and now I'm going to do this and that. Like, it's just a little bit too much, I think. Um, you know, you have right now, it is what, December 8th, Thursday, December 8th, early morning. The transfer portal, I'm I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong, either opened on Monday or it doesn't open until, like, next week. And we have kids committed to different schools already. Cade McNamara, this calendar year, started for Michigan in the college football playoff against Georgia. He lost his job at the beginning of the season to J.J. McCarthy. So now he's the second-string Michigan quarterback. He is still on the roster as the backup QB for the college football playoff for this season, but he's committed to Iowa, and the transfer portal is not open. How does that make sense? How? It's just not good. Another one, and we'll get into it now, because Deion Sanders has been hired to go to the Colorado Buffaloes program as the head coach. I mean, Shador Sanders is going to play, I'm pretty sure he's going to play, in the Celebration Bowl on December 17th, next Saturday. He's already the starting quarterback at Colorado. Travis Hunter, same thing. Going to play in the Celebration Bowl. The next day is going to be on the campus of Colorado. How does that make sense? Now, for those guys, it's a lot different of a scenario. But uh, to me, to be committed somewhere else and to play for someone else this weekend or next weekend or in three weekends just doesn't seem right. Um, so Deion Sanders hired $5.5 million, I believe, per year for the next five seasons to be the head coach of Colorado. 
Colorado in the Pac-12 since 2011 has only had one bowl season, so one winning season since then. Um, after they were like a pretty prolific program in the Big 12 in the early 2000s, it sounds like. Um, it's a really good move, I think, for Dion. I think for Colorado, obviously, they were 1-11 this year. Um, and I know it's a tough – it's tough for the for Jackson State. It's tough for the HBCUs. Obviously, like, he brought a lot of attention to, to the disparities of the programs and just to the culture of, of Jackson, Mississippi. And, like, every, he brought a lot of attention to Jackson State football. And – by association, HBCU football as a whole. That's big. Now, and I don't know if this is an internet rumor or not, but supposedly, Deion Sanders went to his peers, and by his peers, I mean like athletes with a lot of money, to be like, listen, I'll stay, but y'all got to pool money together and I'll help out too, as he did while he was there, so we can really make a change within the these these HBCU programs. And they told him no. Like I said, not sure if that's an internet rumor or not. But either way, uh, it sounds like Colorado and Dion will be helping out uh, – Jackson State financially for the foreseeable future, which I think is really cool. I don't think Colorado had to do that. I don't even think Dion had to do that. But it just goes to show you that he really does care. I like people who say he doesn't care by leaving, like I think that's just BS. Like at the end of the day, he definitely wanted to be a head coach in the FBS. He didn't want to work his way up through those rankings. So he did something instead where he brought a lot of attention to something that didn't get attention before and ultimately made a whole bunch of kids' experience with college football a whole lot better. And at the end of the day, isn't that what it's for? Like, to, it's for the kids. Like, the kids are the ones playing. So um, for Colorado going forward, Obviously, they're going to have to hit the transfer portal pretty hard because they went 1-11. And I didn't see this whole speech, but like obviously, like I've been saying, Deion Sanders has brought a lot of attention to Jackson State while he was there. Like For whatever reason, I don't know if like there's a documentary. I know there was a documentary one of his first seasons, pretty much like an, uh, you know, a hard knocks. Um, I don't know if there was one this year, but there's always so many clips of him talking like in the locker room that there was a whole 15-minute video of him talking to the Colorado team. Um, and people were upset that he basically said, like, we got guys coming, so either get in the portal or come to work every day. Like, to be honest, I think... I think that's exactly what a coach should say in this day and age when he comes to new program. Like, do 
let's just say that the Colorado quarterback room has four guys and three of them are four stars and one of them is a walk-on. Should Deion Sanders look at those four kids and be like, yeah, stay? Because one of you is going to start, one of you will start after him, and then, you know, it's like, or it's a competition. Like, no, of course his son is going to start at quarterback when he transfers to Colorado. There's no, like, so what would he tell those kids? Yeah, stay, work hard. Like, if that's what they want to do, great. They should do that. If they want to seek playing opportunities elsewhere, they have every right to do it. Their coach got fired. The new coach is coming in with players to fill your spot. So you either have to work hard and earn it, or you should leave. And that's exactly what he said. So I don't have any problem with that. That's being honest. And at the end of the day, probably earned him some respect from the guys who are going to stay. And honestly, from the guys who are going to be like, you know what, Coach Prime, appreciate it. But I want to play college football. I don't want to stand on the sidelines. So I'm going to head out of here. Um now, there's the one interesting spot here where, and this was brought to my attention by my friend Gene Coleman, who one of the all-time Bergen Catholic wide receivers then went on to play um, at Delaware. And it was not something I really thought about initially, but it's going to be hard to recruit at Colorado. It's just not like, you know, it's not a situation where they're a perennial powerhouse. It's not a situation where you can go to Southern California or Miami or anywhere in Florida, really, or Texas, somewhere warm. So there's not that. The NIL deals are getting up there since Dion has been hired, but otherwise was pretty low. So there's not a lot of money sitting around to bring these guys in. Dion is a good coach from what I can gather, but he's also not proven at this level. Like FCS and FBS is two different things. He did a great job with Jackson State. This is going to be a little bit harder. And I think he's really good at getting the kids to buy in based on what I've seen. But, um, like, you know, even just in his conference, like USC and UCLA have a big advantage and they are going to leave at the end of the season. Then you look at Oregon. Oregon has the Nike campus on their campus. Easy. Uh, you know, there's there they have multiple teams in this conference that have a better chance to recruit players just in this conference alone than Dion. He was making the point that five stars will not be like, yeah, let me just go get coached by Coach Prime instead of by, let's just say, a Harbaugh or a Saban. He's probably right about that too. He'll get a couple of guys that'll be like, oh, Coach Prime, yeah, great. But there'll be a lot more that'll just, you know, business as normal. Um, so I'm intrigued. I think... My my prediction was six and six next year because, like I said, I feel like he will get players, not the big dogs, but he'll get some talent. 
he will put a great coaching staff around these kids, that's for sure. Um, and he will have them playing for a common goal rather than playing for themselves. I think those that's something that you can't really underestimate in college sports. So um excited to see where he goes with this. I think and kind of looking back on it, it's not surprising that this is the timing of the move given the fact that Shador is has like two or three years of eligibility left. So you know, could have stayed out another year, but also probably trying to look to get his son playing on Sundays if possible. Um, and this is a big step up for him in his career. I don't think he wants to stop here either. Like, like I've been mentioning that Gene brought up, not easy to recruit at Colorado. Pac-12 will not be as great of a conference when USC and UCLA leave. And he wants to win a national championship. I, I really think that. So then that would, you know, leave open a movement to really only one other school in a couple of years, and that is his alma mater at Florida State. Um, and they told him no the first time, so we'll see. But I think that's the goal for Dion. Uh, I think it'll be hard to do it at Colorado. But I think he will get Colorado a lot better. It won't be hard to do that because they went one and eleven. But I think they'll be looking for him to make a bowl early on and then to compete for the Pac twelve championship at some point during that contract. And we'll see if he can do that. So um I guess that just leaves me to talk about the Heisman real quick before I do my army navy pick and my three nfl picks um the heisman is set it is cj stroud of ohio state um stetson bennett of georgia max duggan the tcu quarterback and caleb williams usc quarterback now if this award is being the quarterback of the number one team then Stetson Bennett deserves the award, but it's not. Never has been. So I feel like even though Stetson had a good season, yeah, sure, he did not deserve to be invited. Like, if you should have just invited Blake Corum instead, honestly, because he deserved it. Drake May deserved to be invited more than Stetson Bennett did based on the numbers, but he was the Georgia starting quarterback. They went undefeated, and they invited him. Whatever. I don't think he'll win because he actually has the worst numbers out of the four guys there, and it's not particularly close, at least in terms of t passing touchdowns and rushing touchdowns. Um, I think it should be Caleb Williams. I think what he did over the last half of the season to get USC in a chance to be in the playoff was very impressive. Um I think he ended up with like 40 passing touchdowns and like 4,000 passing yards. And Stetson Bennett ended with 3,420 passing touchdowns. So that just kind of shows you where the numbers are at. Um, don't think C.J. Stroud did enough 
to win either, but he did get he did deserve to be invited based on the stats. Um, I feel like Drake may deserve to be there. Like I said about Blake Corum, probably deserved to be there. Um, but I think this is kind of a landslide for Caleb. Maybe Max Duggan gets uh, a big percentage of the second place votes, but I think it'll kind of be scattered across the other three options. Um, so shout out Caleb Williams, presumably the Heisman. Um and well-deserved, he will be at USC another season because he is only a sophomore. So um, that should be pretty exciting. Usually it doesn't work out well for Heisman returnees, but maybe he can break the trend. So um, seems like we're at that time of the pod where I tell you picks and they lose. Um, so let's get right into it. Saturday afternoon. The only college football game that will be played. And I think I incorrectly said on last week's episode that Army would be playing for bowl contention. They will not because the only bowl that the armed forces can make is the armed forces bowl. And that is decided because Army plays Air Force, Navy plays Air Force, and then Navy plays Army every year. And Air Force beat both Army and Navy, so they're in the Armed Forces Bowl. I believe that is next week at some point, and I think Air Force plays Baylor, I want to say. Um, not entirely sure on that one. Let's see. The... Armed Forces Bowl is Air Force versus Baylor, Thursday, December 22nd. Um, but that is a little bit far down the road for me to pick now. There will be another whole entire podcast, I believe, doing either just winners. Maybe I'll do spreads of every game. Not sure yet. Um, but I will do the spread in the total of this one. Navy is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 32. Um, I'm going to go over. Everyone's on the under. The under has hit at a criminally high rate in games between the Navy and the Army and also any game that includes the Air Force uh, against those two schools. So Obviously, people are going to play the trend. I understand that. I played the trend earlier this year, and it won. Um, but Navy is a really good team. I know their record's four and seven, but if you look at who they've played this season, like they played a legit schedule. Um, but just the last month alone, they played Notre Dame. They lost by three. They played by, they played USC. I mean, UCF, excuse me. They lost by three. They played Cincinnati. That was a close game. So. They've played a real schedule here. The only team they've been blown out by was Memphis, and that was the second game of the season. So I'm going to take the Navy. I think the records are a little skewed based on, like, if Army played that schedule, I don't think they would have had as much success. Um, 
I'm going over because I just feel like Army can put up. I mean, Navy can put up 24, and then we'll see. We'll see if Army can put up the rest. Uh, I, I, I just think it somehow creaks over like everyone's going to have that game. Everyone's going to have under. I just feel like it's going to be over. I don't know. I, I really like that, but I do like Navy. Um, obviously, both teams will be running the always fun triple option offense. Um, it's always a great game. This year, it's at Lincoln Financial in Philadelphia, so pretty cool. Um, most of the time, the president of the United States shows up. Believe one year he did the coin toss, um, so it's it's one of you know it's an American tradition. I personally love watching this game every season, and like I said, Air Force has already clinched the bowl for the Armed Forces. The only way that one of these two teams that doesn't win that spot can get into a bowl as if they've already clinched before this game and neither of them have so that neither of them are in the bowl season um so i hope it's a good game i have navy in the over nfl we'll do three picks i'm not sure what i gave you guys last week um i feel like i gave you the colts so that lost not sure who else maybe the 49ers so that would have won and I think I gave you guys uh, the Titans, and that obviously was a blowout of the Titans by the Eagles. So probably went one and two last week. Not great. Um, but we'll just get after it. I'm telling you right now, Jets plus nine and a half, book it. It's, just, it's disrespectful every week. We beat this team by three last time we played them with Zach Wilson at QB. Now our quarterback is better. Um, I get that they have like Jordan Poyer back that doesn't do much for me, especially when Bob Miller just went out for the season. So Jets plus nine and a half. Love that number. Number two, um, Cincinnati minus six versus the Browns. The Browns looked like crap on offense with Deshaun Watson back. Luckily, they scored two defensive touchdowns and a punt return touchdown. And they put up enough points to beat the Texans. But Cincinnati lost to a Jacoby Brissett-led Browns team earlier in the season. And I think it was by a wide margin. So this is a big-time revenge game for Cincinnati. It's at home. Cincinnati's been on a little bit of a roll. I would take that number before it goes above seven because this might be a big-time blowout. Uh, Cincinnati minus Six is pick number two. And pick number three is Steelers minus two and a half against the Ravens. Now, I saw an interesting thing earlier, and I'm going to agree with the person that wrote this, but I can't give them credit because I don't remember where I saw it. Um, the Ravens and the Steelers play twice over the last month of the season. Lamar Jackson is at least out for game number one. They weren't even playing good with him in, you know, 
previous to to the last couple of weeks. So maybe he's available for game two, maybe not. The other three teams that the Steelers play are the Browns, the Raiders, and the Panthers, all teams under 500. So they're on a two-game winning streak, and in fact, they've won three of the last four. Um, I think they can maybe make a run at the last wild card spot. I don't think people would want to see them play. I don't think I would want to see them play, but based on the fact that they have an easy schedule and the Ravens are battered, I think they can do it. They're favored by two and a half at home, no Lamar. Um, And like I said, they weren't playing good with Lamar in the first place. So I'm going to go Steelers minus two and a half. Those are my three picks. Jets plus nine, Steelers minus two, Bengals minus six. Oh, I've got one more. I'm sorry. Chiefs Broncos in Denver. The Broncos are nine and a half point dogs. Just hammer the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs lost last week. They'll be looking to get right. The Broncos are a bad, bad team, folks. I mean, they beat, uh, they lost to the Ravens last week on a Tyler Huntley-led drive down the field at the end of the game. They lost to the Panthers the week before. They lost to the Raiders the week before that. It's just bad. It's not good. Their defense has played good all season. There hasn't been one game besides one against the Raiders where they gave up more than 20 points. Um. Excuse me, that is incorrect. 25 points. They've been underneath 20, though, in almost every game outside of three. So a really good defense, an offense that is just not good. It's very surprising because I didn't think Russell Wilson was as good as the numbers they gave him, but I didn't think he was as bad as this. Um, And historically... The Chiefs take care of the Broncos, so I'll go Chiefs minus nine. It'll be four picks. Chiefs minus nine. Jets plus nine. Um, Steelers minus two and a half. And the Bengals minus six. That is the Go Be Great podcast with Michael Contento. I want to thank you all for joining me on this wild run between the MLB offseason, the college football regular season and conference championship weekend wrapping up, as well as some of the NFL news and storylines from this week and looking forward to the last couple weeks of the season. Um, Next week, I think it'll just be some more You know, I think we'll have a lot more time to talk about what's going on in the NFL on the next episode. Um, Not sure at what point the college football picks episode will be, but it's going to have to be sometime in the next week because I think the first bowl game is on Wednesday, December 16th. Um, So I want to get that out with enough time for the first game and for people to kind of, you know, hear my thoughts. I have been at 50% on 
on the college football season. Last year, I remember being really bad during bowl season, and I feel like I kind of learned what I did wrong towards the middle and end of that. Um, and I think I can apply that to some winning here during the bowl season this season. So I'm excited. Um, so that will be a separate pod on the next regular pod, NFL, MLB hot stove slash winter meetings slash signings continued. Um, and maybe NBA slash college basketball. No promises though. Uh, once again, thank you guys for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it and go be great.